HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. I'm Laura Stanley, host of Inside School Food. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. Today is Tuesday, August 11, 2015. We've got some special guests from the Hudson Valley, including Jakey Sorrell and Dan Suarez, and also our good buddy Patrick, who's in from Keg and Lantern in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. But today I want to give a special shout-out to our good buddy, Ben Keen, the editor of Beer Advocate Magazine, is here for his final Beer Sessions show of the summer. Ben, you've been a, been a great sidekick all summer, and... Uh, Thanks, Jimmy. It's bittersweet. Little but couple of tears, you know. We've had many beers together. <laughs> and a few more today, starting off with something Dan brought, I think. Yeah. yeah. This is a mixed fermentation jammy. It's a dry hot, 5% ABV, nice dry, simple beer. All right. We're going to have some good beers to taste. Yeah. Beer Sessions Radio is brought to you by Union Beer Distributors, suppliers of world-class ales and lagers. If you have questions for our guests today, you can tweet us live at beer underscore sessions. All right. And thanks for being on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Okay. So, uh, Dan Suarez, you're going to be opening a brewery called Suarez Family Brewery? Yep. Yeah. We, uh, we bought a building um, in Livingston, New York, um, February, and we're... Just about so, to Col- come. so like Columbia County, yeah, you guys Columbia are up County, Upper by Hudson. Hudson Valley, yeah, uh, pretty close to Hudson, and uh, we bought a ten thousand square foot building, so it's a it's a big project ahead of us, and we hope to be open in the winter. Well, it's cool. We, we had Jake Sorrell on a, a, a few not too long ago, maybe a month ago. Yep, and uh, you're you're with. Uh, from the Ground Brewery, you're located at Migley Rally Farms in, uh, what was it, Tivoli or Red Hook, New York? Uh, I think technically it's Red Hook, but kind of Tivoli. So we, well. a- we asked you to, to bring bring down Dan, and we'll talk a little about Hudson Valley, and then also Patrick here, uh, Keg and Lantern, we just, we're kind of doing a recap of our favorites. A couple of weeks ago, we had a, a cask mark show, and uh, Alex Hall was talking about places serving great cask beer, and he brought in some of your beer. So that's kind of a little background. Um, yeah, let's start again. Dan, tell us about the beer that we're drinking one more time, and we'll get um, into it. It's a beer fermented with uh, multiple organisms, uh, well-ripened, 
bottle conditioned, uh, very dry and tart. Um, this kind of beer is going to be kind of the, hopefully, our specialty. Um, these kind of slightly funky, tart, lean farmhouse type beers. And uh, this is what I like drinking, and this is what I hope to, to rock out. All right, man. And I, I know you. I know, I know your family. Your brother's a chef. Yeah. He's, he's got a restaurant up there, a Germantown. Yep, York. yep. They've been in business for about six, seven weeks. Um, the restaurant's called Gaskins. It's in Germantown. Um, they're doing good, but as soon as we open, we, we're definitely going to feature our beer prominently at their restaurant. So it'll be a nice synergy between the restaurant and the brewery. And they're, they're about 10-minute drive away. Uh, so a nice little day trip, I guess. Jake, what do you think about the scene up there? So, there's, there, you also have a maltster in Germantown that that couldn't make it today, and you got Dan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, me and Dan, our breweries will be pretty much like fifteen or twenty minutes apart, uh, and the maltster is about three miles away from me. Um, and then I think Sloop Sloop just opened up a brewery in Elizaville, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, there's another. Uh, I know them. They were in Poughkeepsie before. Yeah, yeah. Duchess Spirit. They're they have like kind of a spirit company, but it, they're d- distillery. But they're doing. Uh, they have a three barrel or five barrel system that they're going to get up yeah. and running. But uh, <clears throat> it looks like there's going to be some. Well, with the addition of Dan, you know, his brewery opening up, it's going to be a real nice area for beer. You know, um, and and it, I think it's a good thing. Like I I started there and. And Dan and I were talking. We had known each other since Brooklyn, and uh, you know, yeah, I used like, to intern for this guy at, at Greenpoint Beer Works. <laughs> yeah, that's how we met through the beer industry here in Brooklyn, and uh, and you know, we talked on the phone a few times, and it's like Dan's like thinking about starting a brewery, and and he decided that Germantown or that area was a place he wanted to come, and you know, like in a lot of other industries, it'd be like, oh man, this guy's coming in on my territory, but it it, it didn't really feel that way to me because it was like. You know, in brewing, it's like everyone. There's a lot of camaraderie, and you know, I know he's going to bring some really great customers. He's going to brew some really great beer for the area, and that's going to add to the whole um, experience of of the Hudson Valley and that area. Yeah, and also it's just kind of starting to happen in the upper part of the Hudson Valley. Yeah. But the Hudson Valley in general, I mean, it's sometimes I I get down, you know, like trying to open this brewery, and I get down because I'm like, oh, I'm kind of like insulated off from like any kind of huge beer scene except it's sex for jake you know <laughs> and, and I, I hang with jake all the time but you know and then i come down here for spend two days and i'm like oh wow there's so many people around here and they're and they're all and they're all very enthusiastic about beer and oh yeah they i guess we can get people to drink our beer yeah so what is it about the hudson valley do you guys think that that's the draw like i think probably 2010 or 2011 the first places like I, I guess not counting Captain Lawrence, which has been there longer, but the first places started to pop Ke- up Keegan and too has move been in North for a while. Yeah, so um, but now you're right, well, uh, yeah. sort of Upper Hudson, um, both sides of the Hudson. Um, it really feels like there's you've reached a critical mass. I still, no. I, I think we got a long way to go yeah. before that critical mass. Um, but I just think it's. More people are moving there, and it is just kind of still within that New York City-ish realm um, for 
better or worse. It's just, you know, it's part of the, oh, there's Mike from Vacas over there. Well, there's... You kind of brought down the whole Hudson Valley, guys. But let's yeah. jump Let's jump to backstory, because uh, when I met you, you were working at Six Point Brewery yep. in Red Oak, Brooklyn. Yeah. And then you went up to Hill Farmstead in Vermont. Yep. Tell us about that experience, because it's, it's one thing, you know, whether our listeners are in Sweden or Michigan, everyone seems to know about Hill Farmstead. Yeah. And it's like the pilgrimage, you know, to bring yeah. people uh, into Vermont. Yeah, great, great brewery. They kind of kicked it off in a big way in, in northern in northern Vermont. Um, it was a I was working at Six Point and had been there for a couple of years. And Sean offered me the job at that point. When he offered me the job, he was doing everything himself. So he was like, "Oh, I need some help. You know, you should come up here and brew here." And uh, I really thought it was it was a great opportunity he gave me because once i took the job and moved up there it was uh, all hands on deck but you know i learned uh stuff about self-distribution and uh, technical brewing and uh, also running the business doing you know it's just like the whole gamut of of uh, running a super high quality artisanal brewery and um so yeah it was a really awesome Experience and just getting to work kind of one on one with uh, with Sean and you know mine and his palates are pretty well synced and it was a good good working good working uh, relationship. But when I took the job there, I was like, oh, I'll come I'll come up and I'll work there for a year, and then one year turned to three years, and uh, it was hard to leave, obviously, because it's such a great brewery and there's still I mean the expansion since I've left has been insane but uh ultimately like now's the time the only sensical time to to embark on our own project when, when you went up there i mean you, you're doing all kinds of things but what when you brew a batch of beer when, mm-hmm. when you first went there at helen farms walk, walk us through like pick one of the beers that people would know um it's a little bit like what's behind you know the yeah I pulling back curtain. the curtain yeah yeah and oz <laughs> yeah. it's like the oz um, of beer uh, for some of the, like, one-off barrel-aged beers, you know, it's just a conversation between me and Sean, really. Like, on a brew day, we'd be brewing a batch of Edward, and we'd say, oh, like, wouldn't that be cool if we did a beer in Sauvignon Blanc barrel with, you know, citrus and this yeast and this yeast? And and we'd be like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. And uh, that was kind of, I mean, that was great because... Uh, I mean, Sean just really wanted to go full gung-ho, experiment, experimental. That's like, you know, that's the fun part. Um, even though the, the hoppy beers are great, it was just like, you know, a steady, a steady like, locomotion uh, production schedule, just cranking out some hoppy beers. But then everyone, as, as time progressed, we, got, we had more capacity and time to do some cool, some cool shit beers, some great barrel aging blending um i really got such a great experience uh barrel aging inoculating batches in oak and blending and really uh rocking out the the like oak program in a big way and that was so much fun to kind of grow the the oak program too i think when i moved there he had like six barrels full and he was like yeah we're gonna you know we're gonna go for it and <laughs> and that's why i took the job because my wife she was i almost didn't and she was like oh she's like you want to get into wild beers you want to get into barrel aging this is the best opportunity and i was like yeah so ben have you been up to home farmstead i have been up there most recently uh this past weekend so they do a festival of farmhouse ales um, 
on their property, which is really great because I think a lot of festivals that I go to these days, um, they kind of creep into the generic zone where they sort of have the same breweries, um, the same sort of vibe, and uh, the actual location up there in the northern kingdom of Vermont is beautiful. I think it was about 300 people in attendance, so it's a small. You're not waiting in line. You can talk to all the brewers who are there hanging out. Um, and so it's just a, a great, especially if the weather is nice, it's yeah. a great and afternoon it's, up it's there. It's very frequently not nice. Or, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It could have snowed uh, <laughs> the other day. <laughs> but they're great festivals. So you, did you learn a lot from that uh, as you're planning your own brewery? Yeah, upstate? yeah, definitely. Uh, from all different aspects, whether it's making beer or running a business, you know, with a keen eye on quality. Um, yeah, because, you know, uh, I think Hill Farmstead is a business that's built on quality and, like... Uh, Determination. <laughs> yeah, but also, uh, like, picking and choosing how it's distributed, really, like, having your thumb on the, like, where the beer goes, knowing where it is, knowing how it's being served, and uh, being kind of pretty steadfast on on having it be served correctly keeping control over yeah, it because uh, yeah. if you brew a good beer if it's served in a shithole that, that with dirty <laughs> tap lines that's no good you know so uh i just feel like certain things like that just having a being pretty vigilant on freshness quality clean draft lines uh uh, really running the business kind of tight and lean and yeah. it's a little bit different you know like I remember when we were in the industry when we started in Brooklyn it was like uh, there was like and when you look on forums online like there's a everyone kind of like this is the way it needs to be done this is the way it's always been done and like you know but it's nice to see someone like Hill Farmstead where like you just can't get their beers like in certain areas of the country and it's like even though people want it but they don't kind of reach out and try and get it there because they're like I think they um are more into like trying to create a, a brewery that is easy for them to run and um you know they don't yeah, have quali- to like- quality of life too i right. think comes comes into that and that's yeah. i think with with our brewery the the as much as possible with my project suarez family brewery uh, as much as possible i'd like the the distribution footprint to be New York as much as possible and have it be a special New York product, you know, something that people are like, oh, you like, you know, you got to go to New York to get that. And, right. You know, ho- hopefully and it'll be relatively easy to come across it in New York City. But if you're in Boston, it's like, come to New York. Jake, get, why don't you pour us a beer and then I'm going to have uh, Dan oh. tell us what, what you know about from the ground brewing. Uh, in, well, your, in your words, how, how would you describe it, what you're doing? Jake is doing something super cool. I mean, I'm real inspired by Jake. He's on Meliorelli Farm, which is one of the the bigger farms up in up in our area. It's in Dutchess County, but um, uh, Meliorelli Farm they grow grain, all kinds of grain now, and all kinds of fruit. So Jake actually he has this little brewery on on the farm there, in one of the in one of the farm buildings, and um, really has a lot of great raw materials at his disposal. Um, yeah, like like the fruit, uh, you know, there's always seconds of fruit, so it's, uh, you know, he can kind of save the fruit from being composted and put it in a beer, which I think is uh, 
that's the best with fruit beards, especially. I mean, fruit's expensive. That's a, a great opportunity to do uh, to utilize like a, a resource that's uh, easy to attain for Jake. You know, like um, and then yeah, some of the cider. Jake's been dabbling in some cider, and uh, yeah, Jake's doing it all all himself now. And uh, I, like I said, I, hang I just with, got I hang an intern. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell like us about that. this. Is this the paleo? Yeah, this is the paleo. I brought it down last time. So, uh, yeah, and it's really, uh, it was really the, oh, sorry, Dan. Uh, you know, when I started the brewery, the, the idea was use local ingredients, but it was like, uh, it was kind of like I set out to kind of like prove to, I guess, beer consumers and also uh, prove to myself that you can make like a, uh, a, a decent beer with local ingredients and, and not, not not like something crazy not like a farmhouse crazy beer or fermented with different yeast or whatever but you like set yourself to like okay we're just going to do a pale ale a very simple style and uh and the grain does well and it works well and you can make a good beer out of it and uh so i'm pretty happy with with its results and your son what Green markets in New York City. Uh, Union Square, Friday and Saturday, uh, and then we actually this Sunday we're gonna add a, uh, a Park Slope uh, Green uh, Down to Earth markets in Park Slope. Oh, Brooklyn, you weren't in Brooklyn last we, time. We finally made it to Brooklyn. I like that, man. All right, hey, we got to a good start to the show. We'll be back in a few minutes with more Hudson Valley guys on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. L. Knife and Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We've been waiting for more of our Hudson Valley beer guys, and, and they just walked in. So, guys, quick, introduce yourselves. Hey, I'm Mike from the brewery at Bacchus in New Paltz, New York. All right. And I'm Evan Watson from Plan B Farm Brewery, recently relocated to Poughkeepsie, New York. All right, so we're getting a good sense of what's going on in, in the Hudson Valley right now. You know, Ben, for you, you know, being from Beer Advocate, uh, would you take a trip up the Hudson Valley and, and, and check out what these guys are doing? Yeah, absolutely. I have not been to either Plan B or Bacchus, but I've been to a lot of them. Um, I like uh, Crossroads is up in Athens. It's in an old um, opera house, and it's more of a brew pub. Um, But uh, what else have I been to? Newburgh is another spot that's got a really gorgeous tap room, and um, they're kind of like 
the one reason to go to Newburgh. Um, <laughs> it's a nice space. Oh, um, but yeah, I, I travel for beer as much as I can, and uh, if there are more breweries close together, all the better. All right. So, Dan, you, you kind of invite a lot of these dudes. So, yeah. why did you pick uh, Bacchus and Plan B? Um, I invited Mike from Bacchus. I've brewed a couple beers with Mike at the, the little brew pub in New Paltz. Uh, I hang out with Mike all the time, too. Uh, um, and then Evan, uh, he's met my wife, but he never met me. But uh, I just uh, I thought he'd be a good addition to the Hudson Valley show, you know. Thank you. Rocking it out in a, in a big way, I guess. So. You guys have a nice community up there. So do you, are you getting access to local hops and, and grains? Um, we do a little bit of stuff with local hops and grains. They're hard right now. Uh, most of the stuff we do is local other things. Uh, the stuff where I just poured for you guys is a beer called Indigenous. Uh, this is barrel-aged sour beer. Regular, I don't know, Reese two-row grains from wherever they come from. What's interesting and what's, I think, indigenous about this beer is that we aged it on top of, and fermented it, and aged it on top of uh, grape skins, crushed grape skins from a local vineyard. So in place of, you know, whatever hops we could get, since we couldn't get any that were very good, we went outside the box a little bit. So this is where we we scooped about 100 pounds of these off of a, for lack of a better term, compost pile outside of the winery. <laughs> Uh, kind of like brush the bees aside. Sounds more and more delicious yeah, as you describe. Right? It's, yeah. it's a great description. Very artisanal. Um, but with that, it's kind of like what we're inspired by. So this is a lot of like local microbe kind of beer, uh, where we couldn't get grains or hops for this beer, so we, we went the other way. Did you, did, you punch, did you punch this down? We punched this down, yeah. Uh, we punched it down a lot, which is a technique where uh, a lot of stuff we're borrowing from wineries too, so we... Age this in a big open barrel, cut the top off of it, and every day the grape skins would float to the top. And instead of getting oxygen and getting too much gross stuff, we'd push them back down to keep the flavor in there. And uh, yeah, it was pretty gross for a while, and about six months later, it was a delicious sour beer, which I hope you guys are all enjoying now. It's pretty great, it's great, fantastic. Yeah, man. Thanks. thanks. What, what, what would you, th- Jake? Tell us about these guys. You know, you, you guys are living up there, working around these guys. Can you just drive? I don't get out them? much. You're too busy. <laughs> yeah, like I have three kids and I uh, spend most of my time with them. And three days a week, I go to the brewery. I've met uh, Evan before. Uh, I have yet to try his beer, and I've yet to. Well, I'm happy to try Bacchus's beer now. Um, but yeah, I I don't get out much. He needs to stop watching werewolf movies. I think. <laughs> yeah. Really. Every once yeah. in a while, Jake makes me chicken adobo, which I'm really appreciative for. Well, that's pretty cool, man. You guys sound like you have a lot going on up there. I don't know, but I'll tell you what I like. I, I, like, uh, I do feel like every town could have a brewery in every valley and, and every little corner. And uh, it's, 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 I feel like we're getting that tonight, right, Ben? It's like yeah, it's well, a I part think, of the Hudson uh, Valley. To back up um, <clears throat> to Plan B, you guys were brewing on the tiniest of tiny scales, right? And I presume that's part of the reason why you moved well, um, so that you could yeah, to get, get back, more beer out sure. there. I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of like a Petri dish brewery to see if you can brew everything directly thank you, uh, from your locale, right? So all of our hops, uh, all of our grain, um, now all of our yeasts and, and microbial forces are all from um, New York is our, is our radius right now. But um, trying to get it down to a place where I grow and process everything, floor malt everything, 
and try to get a, a you know a handle on what it tastes like you know like going you know undoing all this great innovation and and <laughs> technology and science that we've accumulated as a culture and and just throwing it away and saying you know what is what does beer taste like from a place so it's 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 a lot of philosophy it's a lot of theoretical stuff but um, that also fuels a tiny, tiny system, right? So there's not... At first, when I started, I was telling uh, Mike on the way down that um, there's only one place where you could get grain when I started, and it was um, in Owego, the Owego area. And it was a place called Farmhouse Malt. And yeah. the first time I got grain from there... And I've only brewed with New York grain. first time I got grain from there, it was out of Marty Matrazo, who's the molster there, out of his um, fish tank. He had... He had malted like 20 pounds out of his fish tank. They're a very young uh, malting company, right? Sure, They're yeah. only maybe a year or two old. So we've kind of grown with them, and now there's actually an infrastructure. There are a lot of malsters up in the Rochester area, Flower City Malt Labs, uh, New York Craft Malt. Now we have one in our neck of the woods uh, next to Dan and, and Mike and Jake. And it's all in Germantown. Us. What's it called? Uh, Germantown Beer Farm. And they're floor malting, trying to do a very traditional uh, approach to malting. Exciting! Uh, using malt or using grain from your big early farm, yeah, yeah. And, and next to me too in the Salt Point yep. grain, right, right behind our new place. So, yeah, so that's how tiny we we're tiny, tiny, tiny. But now the infrastructure has grown, and we've grown with that. Now we have twenty five acres, and we're going to try to start growing all our. I feel like I took a step back in time, but going to the future with you guys, and like you know, this you guys all from this little community, pretty much, and uh, for mostly the first time I'm meeting you. I mean, let's say you're coming to New York. Let's say we're going to do a tasting tonight somewhere. Let's say you're at Roberta's or at Jimmy's number 43. You know, what, what would you want to tell people about what you're doing? You started off, but uh, tell me from Bacchus. What do you want to tell people what you're doing? Because you have uh, this is some great stuff. I think these two beers particularly, um, again, this is indigenous and flying colors. These are our first two very small bottle releases uh, available at our brewery in New Paltz. But these are our attempts to be local without necessarily, well, how's a good way to say this? Using stuff that uh, hasn't been great yet. So we love IPAs too, but I feel like the way we make them, um, New York just isn't quite there yet as an agricultural force for a lot of the flavors we really want to get. So we switched, and this one you're having here is again a sour ale, Asian barrels with local apricots. So... New York is a great place for so many things, and what I'm excited about, especially in our beers in the Hudson Valley, is like reaching out to making local more than just barley and grain. But we've got, like I said, grapes, apricots, whatever fruits we can get, spices. Evan's growing flowers for beer. Um, and I, yeah, I'd jump in and say the thing that we all have in common, and I think that is underappreciated, and you might want to articulate to to people, and it's very hard to articulate, is that. Uh, microflora and yeast is is in terms of making a locale and a flavor is by far the most important. I mean, we see that in you know German lager beers or or lamb, the, of course the Seneca Valley lambic tradition and you know you know there's it's a lot of flavor with these tiny tiny things that exist all over the place. So it's very logical. I mean, grain and 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 hops are like giant building blocks, right? You know, but these are like this is the mortar. You know, the yeast is the mortar that. That makes something really native. And I think that's a hard thing to articulate because it's so microscopic. You know, the farm brewer's license doesn't even consider it. But I think that's in terms of terroir and all these localized words we throw around. That's so you get in trouble if, if a bee comes over from Vermont or something yeah. in Massachusetts. Yeah. I scold him. <laughs> it's not New York State. No, I scold him. Get the hell out of here. Um, I guess. I guess for me, it's uh, you know taking a step back from that. Uh, you know. 
kind of letting the beer speak for itself, but also I think, you know, the beer industry is one largely based on relationships and people. So, you know, ideally if you came to an event in New York city tomorrow night and we were having an event like me or my wife would be there and we, you could see, you could meet the people who actually like had a hand in your beer. And, uh, for me, like brewer owned and operated is a very important thing. Uh, uh, just because, you know, let, let's be honest, there's like a lot of people getting into this business for the wrong reasons or they think it'll be cool to be a brewery, uh, to own a brewery or whatever. But I think just, uh, yeah, owner operated brewer. I got a new operated. name for you guys. I don't know if you go way back in the wine world, California in the, in the early 90s, there was a group called the Roan Rangers and they were making, growing Roan style <laughs> grapes. And uh, then, it, then it was like in, in, in craft beer, it was like you, you can only get the hard to get. So it was like it was certain beer that you know you couldn't get. Pliny the Elder, you could only get that beer. And then it was like Vermont. Everyone had to get the beers from Vermont, Hetty Topper and stuff that no one could get. But now I think you guys in Hudson Valley, here's a new term for you guys: the new primitives. The new primitives. <laughs> I'm not the one to preach, but Jimmy, it, it's kind of fun. You're, let me take it's it a marketing second. Marketing genius. Let me take a second, Jimmy. You're good at this. This whole radio thing. I just want to say that. <laughs> well, you guys make good beer, so. But the, but the new, new new primitives, man. You know, the, the, I love your approaches. And tell us about bees. You know, because sure. you're talking about microflora, you're talking about bees. Right. So I mean, that's there's a lot to learn from bees. I mean, we keep bees on our farm, but um, most recently we've cultivated a yeast from the raw honeycomb that's served our house yeast. And the thinking behind that, I've cultivated yeast from the air, from different fruits. And the main thinking behind um, bringing bees into it is because they are pollinating, uh, you know, thousands of different types of, of, of flowers and, and plants throughout a three-mile radius. And so if you're trying to capture a taste of that location, um, then maybe I thought that would be a cool place to go to cultivate yeast. And, it, and it's worked out really well, though I think over time you isolate certain strains and, and it gets you know less of the three-mile radius and less of thousands of plants and more of a single you know, bacteria or, 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 uh, or yeast. Since you guys are thinking along these lines, how do you think, and each one has to answer this separately, how do you think the first humans ever discovered fermented anything? At uh, Jimmy's 43. <laughs> but before they know right how to make answer. it, do, do right you answer. think that some, like someone actually saw a bear like licking out of some wet honeycomb that fermented and then they started tasting it? I mean, no, I think it was Jim. probably just laziness. You well, know, like, oh, I didn't clean out that pot, uh, whatever. Let me just, hey, well, let me try out what, what's in it, you know, and like. It's just accidental, I'd, I would say. There are examples of animals in nature that intentionally seek out fermenting fruit that's fallen off the tree or whatnot. So if you think about people way back when uh, foraging and coming across you know, these deliciously super sweet semi-fermenting fruits and then <clears throat> maybe putting it together, wait, if we collected all these things, you know, I think it was a little accident and then a little sort of... A light bulb going off moment would be my take on it. Yeah, I heard a great story about, uh, and I guess this is just a story, but a kind of evolutionary story about apes where people argue that yeast and alcohol is actually part of evolution and how we kind of got here today, where there were certain apes who would eat this half-fermented yeah. fruit like you're talking about. And they ate too much of it, and I think we all know what happens when you eat too much of it or you drink too much whiskey when you get home at night. And they weren't able to really procreate and evolve, and we became the species-based, this is one theory, 
based on <laughs> who could survive by eating fermented fruit and and having alcohol in their system. I actually had a vision of that coming over today. I was thinking, well, how do we how do we evolve? And I was like, well, if you could read, you could communicate and give notes. And if you couldn't, so I guess if you if you can drink and and still and socialize, way, right? And socialize, right? Exactly. I was going to say, Mike, that's where you got that apricots for your <laughs> the, uh Well, I mean, this is a very cynical way to look at it, but, you know, they say alcoholism is, is genetic, right? Where did that gene come from, right? It's, that's, that's some old stuff right there. That's early evolutionary stuff. Yeah, and maybe that's false. Let's not talk about alcoholism on that. This is good. This is like beer as church. <laughs> We're taking a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Come check us out at Roberta's Pizza. We're in the back. It's a great place to have dinner. And uh, we're with uh, the new group, the New Primitives, this uh, collective of, of really cool experimental brewers in the Hudson Valley. And you're going to be hearing a lot more about them soon. So, um, Bacchus, what's your take on uh, how we first found out fermentation or something? Uh, I still like the ape story, but also I think someone left a loaf of bread out in the rain, something like that. And grain fermented, and they ate it, drank it, and I think that's how they discovered penicillin too. Something so. like God, you know. So there's drunk nature, God, beer, and uh, I mean, for a long time, I went for Evan because Evan just right? said he, they were lazy people. Yeah, me. I mean, Jake. Sorry. Yeah, you. I mean, like you kind of like, and I, I, I. Getting back to my brewery, like I think uh, what what I'm kind of trying to do now is like really let. Not myself choose what beer I'm brewing, but let the ingredients and let nature kind of like, you know, like right now I got like tons of stuff pouring off the orchard right now. And I'm just kind of like grabbing that. All right. Hand motions. Uh, I'm just grabbing it and like just putting I'm it in the beer. I motion the plan B beer and Jake's so good <laughs> he stopped talking and gave me the beer. I love that guy. Uh Yeah. And just kind of like let the ingredients and let nature, I mean... I'm kind of a hippie, but yeah, let nature like choose what your beer is going to be, um, and you know, and and see where that goes. Cool. So, Evan, you tell us about your beer, the Plan B. The it's farm brewery pickle. It tastes like pickles. Yeah. Well, it's you know, it is. It's this concept. Uh, we sell beer almost exclusively at a farmer's market, and that's what Jake's saying is, is you know. Being limited to in this era of pumpkin beers that have been out this week, you know, like finding your 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 bearings in in your climate you know and knowing whatever's whatever's like this week's like great donut peaches and plums i know that you know like because you're a part of that right and in- incorporating that into the beer this is a beer then when the kirby cucumbers are ready it was a beer waiting and um 
in an oak barrel for about a year. And then when the Kirby cukes were ready, I threw them in there. And when the dill was ready, I threw it in there, you know, and let it sit for about a month. And then tastes like pickles, man. Yeah, it's pickles. Tastes like pickles. (laughs) Be good for a whiskey with whiskey. It's Jake, a novelty, but I felt like you know, oh, it'd, it'd be great with whiskey too. Next uh, next year will be whis- Hill Rock whiskey barrel aged. You should age it in whiskey barrels. Like I a, will. It's like a pickleback, right? <laughs> yeah. You could just replace this with pickle yeah, juice. It's a, higher in alcohol. Yeah. So you guys just hang out and you swap each other's beers and. That's pretty much my life. Yeah. So what's going to happen when Suarez Family Brew opens? Is it is it going to be like huge? Or is it going to like um, be the thing? Well, I. I certainly hope so. Uh, uh, we're starting kind of big from the get-go. We're, we have a 20-hectoliter brew house coming, so, you know, it's not small, not huge, uh, just a nice uh, kind of, that's the kind of size that, you know, I've been brewing at 15-barrel breweries, um, so I'm just comfortable brewing on that, and I think it's also kind of that sweet spot, at least for me, and for, for the type of project we want to do, so, yeah, hopefully... We'll we'll distribute the beer around, but hopefully, uh, yeah, people come see us too. That's that's a big part of it. We got a nice, cozy tasting room. Yeah, all right, man. Yeah. And we've got uh, from from Brooklyn. We got Patrick Allen from the Keg and Lantern. So you guys were a little bar in Greenpoint, but you put in a brewery. But you're also making kind of like primitive experimental beers too. I, I dream about ten thousand square feet uh, and valleys. Um, yeah, we're uh, quite the opposite of the Hudson Valley in terms of space and. Uh, working with that and getting 4,000 pounds of grain dropped off and carrying it down into a basement. Um, but hopefully our beer is coming out as good as these guys because it's fantastic. And then you just we're pouring your beer right now too. What, what did you bring? Uh, um, we're making a range of styles, but this is a, a Belgian wheat beer aged in a red wine barrel. Somehow we fit uh, two wine barrels and a couple of bourbon barrels down there um, in addition to 10 fermenters. Nice, man. Ben, have you been over there yet? The Keg and Lantern? The Green I Point? haven't, no. And I uh, probably should, right? Uh, Alex was talking about you guys um, <clears throat> on the show that we did about cask beers lately. So is that something that's kind of important to your beer program? Yeah, we've had the cask mark. Uh, the bar has been there for six years, and we've had the cask mark for a couple of years. But uh, the brewery's just open for a year, actually. Uh, we're having a one-year anniversary this Monday. Um, but yeah, we always have a cask on. Uh, Alex is in regularly, making sure that we're we're serving it properly, <laughs> checking up on you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've been using it as an experiment for um, uh, testing different ingredients because we're using five gallon pins, um, so using variety of ingredients, uh, coconut and cacao nibs and um, habaneros and things like that. But also, you know, and we have a English bitter. You know, we got to put some of those in cask also. What uh? What's been the uh, the response of like you? Oh, you said you always have a cast beer on. What's been the response from the general yeah. populace at large? Do people still think it's a flat, uh, warm beer? Or are they like getting into it? Um, I think they're they're changing a little bit. Um, we have some pretty good regulars that always want to drink the cast beer. So you know, a five gallon pin uh, doesn't doesn't take long to get through for sure. Um, but people are. Uh, being one over, especially, I mean, like you put an IPA in a cask, which might not be traditional, but somebody that likes IPAs, they drink that and they start to, starts to bring out some of the softer notes of that beer. 
Yeah, I also think it's a good opportunity to add dry hops again sure. in the, in the cask, fresh. which yeah, freshy. Yeah, very fresh. <laughs> Are you pulling the cask? Is it a yeah? It's a hand pull, and we're using a breather so we can you know get seven days out of it as you know as opposed to trying to get through it in, sure. in a night. Let me let me ask you this: sparkler or no sparkler? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a personal question. Oh, hey, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's for another show. Whoa, hello, Johnny. <laughs> hello, cask boys. Anyone else making cask ales? I just got my first cask dropped off at the brewery. Uh, we're going to have it full of sour beer at the Gingerman, uh, which Super is where my partner in crime, my other brewer, Jason, works. Uh, so look for that. They're doing an event there, I think, August 20th or 22nd. You probably find those details on the internet. But, yeah, that's our first cask. I'm actually here to ask a bunch of guys how to fill it the right way, <laughs> so I don't mess it up. Perfect. What about um, you? what about you, Evan? Are you doing any cask beers or anything? You know, it's I I, I love engine the beer engine. I love the I'm a sparkler guy. Me too. Yeah, <laughs> I think that that's what gave us an idea as as American brewers to to put it as gravity and pour it out, and it never quite hits that mark with that that. I always call it mustache foam. I wanted to open a, a brewery called Mustache Foam Brewery where you filled a cask with just foam and you just f- kept filling and pouring the pint and just just foam, sheer foam. You no could have a, a, a foam-blowing contest, Evan. <laughs> They're down in Cape May, New Jersey every summer. Right at the end of the summer, they have it. There's a bar down there called the Ugly Mug, and they have a foam-blowing contest. This is a family That's show, it. Jimmy. Yes. <laughs> So, Evan, so you guys, you guys expanded too, right? So when yes. I remember I, I, I've had your beer before, heard yeah. all about it. Oh, cool. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, the new, We just moved, literally dropped a, a prefabbed small cabin. I think we could have a whole other discussion about living in tiny spaces with minimal utilities uh, during this. So we just... <laughs> Seems to be part of the, the yeah. uh, job, right? <laughs> you don't have internet? Uh, we have data internet. We've got 20, gigs, <laughs> 20 gigs a week. No no downloading. You guys uh, have Lord propane gas? Or uh, do you have natural we, gas? We have electric. We don't have oh, any yeah? gas. Yeah, not yet. Um, Mostly propane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We have electric stove. Anyways, we just moved up to Poughkeepsie, um, found a plot of land, 25 acres, um, doing a lot of overhaul of the land. There was an old orchard there at one point, um, and there's an old barn that was built in the early 1800s um, that's a three-tier barn, and we're renovating that right now in the process. It, Mike saw it this morning. It's quite a process. <laughs> it's pretty dilapidated, but Beautiful. but it'll, um, it'll turn into a farmhouse brewery and a destination, try to get people up to understand where beer comes from and, and walk the grounds, have a picnic, and, uh, and you know, see the whole thing. Who's doing a good job of covering Hudson Valley beer scene? Like the magazines, like yeah. Ale Street News or anything? Ale Street News. Mark Marnell. Who's that? Mark Marnell is uh, the man. The Hudson Valley Man. dude for uh, Ale Street News. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I tried to get Ben Keen up to on one of my tours, but he, he was... That guy's uh, a flake. Don't yeah, he kind of flaked out. Uh, Josh Bernstein, he flaked out. Dan came, so that was cool. Evan's funny. Come on. <laughs> no, I'm not funny. I was actually going to say something sincere. Uh, our friend Derek Dillinger is a great writer and has done a lot for Hudson Valley Magazine and is a great brewery. He's the head brewer at Kent Falls Brewing Company, and they're making really great beers. Um, but he's a, a wonderful writer. Just got done writing, or uh, I probably shouldn't say that, but he's getting finished writing a book about eating only fermented foods for a year. And he lives was living in uh, Beacon. What is it called? Bear? Bear Flavored Bear is his Bear Flavored blog. is yeah. the blog. Okay. And the book okay. is called The Fermented Man. It's not Evan, when, when, when did 
when did you figure out you wanted to be like a modern primitive and make beers this way? A Neanderthal? Yeah. <laughs> I, was born, I was born with this brow. A Neanderthal. But how'd you, how'd you go from this? What, like whatever you did before, what was it? You I got was a job? A musician. Yeah, I was a, a professional musician. And Can you tell that story about me? No, no I can't tell that story. <laughs> But I, I played a, a music. I was a home brewer, and actually, home brewing. I always it was right when I started brewing a lot right during the hop crisis. And I thought, oh, what does it take to grow this plant? And you know, you start to do the numbers, and you know, it was this was a long time ago. But then I played a, a festival in Pleasantville, New York. I was living in the city at the time, um, and I was sponsored by Captain Lawrence Brewing Company. And I and I had loved their beer, and they said, oh, I I love your music. I said, I love your beer and then we kissed a I, love bit. You, man. I love you man i love you man no and then uh Bro. but yeah. then how'd you go from that to, to, to making you know be yeast well i think it goes back Michael to Floor well i think working and, you know. and i have nothing but good things to say about captain lawrence brewing company and i learned a ton of stuff there but during that process i think starting to think about the origins of ingredients thinking about going to a winery and if all the ingredients were imported by from other countries um, feeling a lot less about the quality of the wine and why that's not applied to brewing, that why we stand in industrial buildings and looking at stainless um, with ingredients from China and and not a lot of good ingredients from China, but ingredients from, from Canada. That China was pretty hard there at the front, <laughs> but from Canada and, and Belgium and and. Oh, the other side of the country. There'll be no Canada bashing on this <laughs> sorry, show, sir. <laughs> no, I'm not bashing. They're great ingredients. And I just wondered why is it that beer is not held to that same agricultural standard as wine? I think uh, I think the thing about beer is, like, all the ingredients involved with it were, like, they keep well, you know? And that was, that was the thing. Like, all of a sudden, like, I think there was a point where, like, after Prohibition or around that time, like, you could start putting breweries wherever you wanted because... They had barley harvested that year. They had a great silo. The silo kept that throughout the year. They could malt, keep it in another silo or whatever. And then you just have this constant flow in the hops as well. You can dry out those hops. And and that's the thing that kind of allowed breweries to um, escape or get away from the farm, you know? Like, But wineries, I mean, wineries are doing that now. They're, they're bringing in grapes or juice from other areas of the region. And it's just kind of like, well... Yeah. Whatever for that, you know, but like, um, it's really kind of like the idea to try and get back to the, back to the land closer to that, that, um, if the, you had the raw pick, ingredient. Uh, if you guys had to pick a year in time when it went from being this kind of working with nature to, you know, modern transportation and everything, you can go back a couple hundred years. I think it's TV dinner. No, no, come on. Uh, get, keep, I think TV 19, dinner is TV Pick a date. When well. do you think this happened? Because I'll tell you Invention my date. of the microwave. I, I think it's 1820. Okay. There's something about 1820. Before that, it was like you'd have breakfast. It was like leftover beef and pie. <laughs> and you didn't even have, I think it was like 1840s when they really started having yeah. steam power and, and yeah. railroad transportation. But I don't know if you've thought about the beers you like. People, people you echo, say, where would you echo back to? People say like, you like, like you people know? of our age should uh, eat. What your grandma, what your what your grandparents say, and I probably think that's right. Like, what the time our grandparents or great grandparents were uh, were alive is probably like just at the sweet spot, maybe. Uh, but kind of going back to what what Jake was saying, like sometimes back in the day, I don't, I wouldn't want to go too far back because sometimes the harvest sucked and is so localized that if your harvest sucked, you're drinking. You're drinking beer that's not so good for the entire year because this was, you know, sustenance and 
I don't know. Technology is good. You know, like a lot of these, a lot, I mean, like, you know, like the, the, a lot of beer styles started before there were thermometers, you know? And like, uh, I'm really glad to have a thermometer and I'm really, you know, I'm really glad to understand the pH of my water. And like, so there's these aspects of the brewing that, that, um, I think we can control. And I, I just, I, I actually have a few things to say about terroir, but we can talk about that later. But, um, <laughs> that's the next one you're coming right? back. And then Mike, last thing, Jimmy, I think you're right on calling us the new primitives, um, me and Dan had this conversation about a month ago, and I feel like there's this really great pendulum swing. Like, I don't think any of us are, maybe with the exception of Evan, but he's he's like the far left wing of this whole regime. Um, I don't think we're trying in a good way, in a very good way. That's a good thing. Uh, going that far back to the point where we're not using thermometers and all, but like we have this technology now, and I think we have this kind of romantic and beautiful idea of what we wanted beer to, what we want beer to be, and what we thought it used to be. And now we're able to use all the technologies available to recreate that in a better way. So our farmhouse ales are like inspired by, you know, the old traditions of Belgian brewing, however you want to think that was. But really, we're just making what I think and what we might agree on is delicious beer with what we have available. And what's the last beer you poured for us? Uh, the last beer I poured for you is actually a collaboration me and Dan did together. Um, it's called Oud Dude. Um, it was originally called Cowabunga Dude and then it aged in a barrel for about a year. Now it's the Oud Dude. And this is another kind of iteration. I brought all these beers purposefully. This was brewed with uh, wild sumac, staghorn sumac that we picked off of some trees around our neighborhood. Tastes like lemons and cranberries. It's beautiful. And then it aged in a local vineyard's wine barrel. And I think it's a good articulation of the kind of beers we're all trying to make up there. This is awesome, Shuman. Ben, you want to sum sum up this show? Because we're going to cut off soon. Uh, It's hard to do because we've talked about chimps, (laughs) new primitivism, uh, bees. um, Covered a lot of ground, but I think that's appropriate. You know, we had a great mix of people all doing very distinctive individual things with beer, and I think that's what makes... I I feel like I'm an old conservative radio host interviewing Jack Kerouac and some of the Beats, man. (laughs) That's how cool you guys are. So, to the new primitives of the Hudson Valley, you guys are awesome. Cue the jazz. All right. Everybody say their their name one more time and and their their brewery. So, we got Ben Keen, Beer Advocate. Evan, tell us your full name. Uh, Plan B Farm Brewery. Uh, Jacob Sorrell uh, from the Ground Brewery. You, you tuned into D Suave Radio. This is Dan Suarez, Suarez Family Brewery, and I'm Mike from the Brewery at Bacchus in New Paltz, New York. Patrick Allen, Kagan Lantern Brewing. He wants to be a new primitive. He's working on it over in uh, in Greenport, Brooklyn. All right, so this is a great show, and really, Ben, it's been a nice summer with you, man. Awesome summer. Thanks so much for coming on as my co-host. Thanks to our producers, Maggie Side and Justin Kennedy, engineer Jack Inslee. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 